create a new pop of color, something whimsical and fun that when you're walking down the sidewalk, you get to see uh, local art and enjoy being out in the uh, downtown's street. I really think beautification takes many forms, color, design, artistry, if that isn't by a mural uh, that's painted on a building, if it's street gallery, if it's the alley gallery doorways that you see, banners that hang on the light poles, all of these things make somebody know that they're in the right place. It's a place that's being taken care of. There is a reason to appreciate where you are. My name is Antonio Butler and I'm a sanitation tipper. It's a very physical job. You would have to be energized and bring your A-game every day. Once I learned how to tip and got better at it, that's what I love to do. Help the residents out and getting rid of their trash, their yard waste, and they recycle. You know, it's a good feeling. Very intense job, but you know, I love it. I've been here three years. You know, I don't see myself going nowhere. It's great. It is external agency funds, and the amount is $600,000, decreasing homelessness, also financial stability, increased access to a targeted population. Those are the three primary focuses for RCS. There's not a specific project in mind as long as they align with those three primary focuses. They're more than welcome to apply. They have to be compliant in multiple areas and that's available on our website. There's also application guidelines available for applicants to review the questions kind of ahead of time and also get a little bit of guidance on information that is pertinent to them answering the question. These are general appropriated fund dollars through Metro Council that's approved through the Mayor and Metro Council. We serve all demographics, so different races, ages, all across Jefferson County. They have until February the 3rd to apply, and it's just great to see how the monies are directly impacting individuals and also families and just moving forward and being progressive and helping the community in the best way possible. My name is Ronita Nance and I'm an artist based here out of Louisville, Kentucky and I actually work from my home. I am an abstract artist. I do pour painting and she commissioned me to do a tabletop um, to fit the space. She gave me the colors and actually it works very well. I'm so appreciative that she thought of me to help her to uh, bring it to fruition and to add to the space. I almost cried when I bought it in here because it coordinated so well with her space. I'm excited as a small business owner to be able to have this space to bring clients. Sometimes people come to me and they want to do different projects and I'm not real comfortable with bringing people into my home. I have children. So it's exciting to be able to have this space to bring them to. It felt really good to be around people like-minded, like-spirited. It felt really good. My name is Gary Parker. I served as a Cavalry Scout and a military policeman in the United States Army for 20 years. When I was a Cavalry Scout, we had a young lieutenant that came in. Great guy, but he moved on. Got promoted to lieutenant colonel, went on to Afghanistan, and I was able to keep in contact. And I'd wake up one morning, go on social media, and there's that post you don't want to see. For whatever reason, he, he took his own life. Nobody knows why he did it. And if there's something that we could have done to prevent it from happening, safe gun storage can prevent 
gun suicide because it's that added step to get to your firearm that might just give somebody a moment of reflection on what they're doing. As a veteran, we need to be ambassadors to people that don't have the knowledge that we have. Anytime you're not storing a weapon safely, you're putting yourself and your community at risk. Service never stops. I'm glad you could make it in this morning. At first, I was kind of iffy about it. I'm gonna get your information pulled up here. You don't really realize um, what you're spending until someone kind of puts it in an itemized list of what you spend and where you spend it. We're gonna wanna focus in on really tackling that particular area of debt. I'm not here to point the finger or to kind of condemn you for any of these things. I wanna help see you be the absolute maximum potential of who you can be. Bringing the FEC to Louisville changes the way that you can follow me. Government is providing for its residents. There has been a lot of interest in the Financial Empowerment Center because people are in kind of a need, especially after COVID-19. Financial services are costly and not everyone can afford them or can easily access them. You can either call or you can request an appointment, much like we think of public libraries and parks and other essential city services. This should be right there with it. We should provide opportunities for our residents to build or secure their financial health. I'm trying to buy a home. The very beginning was just trying to convince her that I was a safe place. We started off getting uh, my savings together. Like when I get paid, just put a little bit at a time in that savings and then it'll add up. to one of our recycling drop-off sites, you know that those dumpsters are often very full and overflowing, but we are slowly converting them. We're in the parking lot of the Cyril Allgaier Community Center, and this is our first location that has made the switch. So having these smaller dumpsters that can be emptied on site will keep them from overflowing so easily. The larger dumpsters used to have to be put onto a truck and driven all the way to the recycling center, then emptied and then brought back. And our goal is to have a cleaner and safer environment for our residents that use these. They aren't accepting any different material, but we all know they've been misused a lot in the past. It's best to flatten your cardboard before recycling. So this is going to help not only with that, better, clearer signage for a message that residents can understand, and it will hopefully help prevent illegal dumping at these sites. It is going to make collection a lot more efficient.
Vice Chair Benson? So unfortunately, um, Councilwoman and Chair Shanklin, she's um, unable to connect. I think that her computer's having a software malfunction or something. So she's asking, could you please chair this meeting? Um, she may be able to figure it out and join and she'll take over, but she asks, okay. could you chair? All right, um, I don't have the agenda in front of me. Could you read off the first one? Uh, let me, who all, I don't even have the uh, uh, members. Uh, who are, uh, could you call roll? I can, but okay. we'll, let's, I'm why don't we give, um, Metro TV 60 second notice. We're rolling. Okay. And then you can take over from there and I can read the disclaimer. Um, I can do roll call and I can read the first item and we can go from That'd there. That'd be great. All right. I appreciate good. it. Thank yeah. you. So Metro TV 60 second notice. Whenever you're ready, sir. Okay, I'm, I appreciate it. Call the roll if you would. Yeah, so um, in chambers, we have committee member um, Syme, committee member Hawkins, committee member Rui, committee member Owen, committee member Arthur, we have President Winkler, and virtually we have committee member Parker, and um, hopefully later we'll be joined by Chair Shanklin. And this meeting is being held pursuant to KRS 61.826 and Council Rule 5A, read in full. Thank you very much. So uh, uh, the first one on the agenda is, is, could you read that? Yes, sir. Item number one is R-022-23, a resolution pursuant to the capital and operating budget ordinances approving the appropriation to fund the following non-competitively negotiated sole source contract for Louisville's Metro Public Health and Wellness concerning Overdose Quick Response Team, Louisville Recovery Community Connection Incorporated, 85,000, red and full. Motion, Thank Arthur. Thank you very much. Do we have a motion? Motion, Arthur. Thank you. Second? Is there a second? Um, Committee Member Owen. Owen. Marilyn Berger. Okay, I, I can't see the other members, so somebody's gonna have to help me a little bit here. Uh, uh, do we have a speaker here to talk about this by any chance? Yep, I can, I, can talk, I can talk about this. Um, the administration reached out to me and asked me to sponsor this. Um, and I'll just 
Uh, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but I had a few questions upon looking through um, the resolution. Um, it, to, the the eighty-five thousand dollars are passed through federal funds awarded to LMPHW through the state Kentucky opo opioid response effort in October of 2022, um, and this resolution is written for fiscal year 2022-2023. Uh, and I was asking whether we were anticipating using all of the money, $85,000 between now and June 30th, and I got a response back from Ben Goldman saying the 85000 will not be spent in fiscal 2022-23, but CORE is anticipated to fund this grant at identical levels every fiscal year. We will need to return unused funds from 2023, but will then receive new funds to support this work for 2024. Our hope is to sign a similar contract with LRCC for 2024. Um, and then the other question I had asked is uh, about this being a sole source contract. And my understanding is that this organization is one of the few, if not the only organization that provides, um, I think it's in-home or in-site help in, in this kind of an effort, and so that's why it's a sole source contract. So that's about the extent of my knowledge on it, um, and so I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Sounds very good. Marcus, um, uh, was you gonna say something? Winkler? Yeah, I was, thank you, uh, uh, Vice Chair Benson. There is a speaker from the administration here. I don't know if you can see him. Oh, okay, great, great. I need all the help I can get from here, so. Can you identify yourself and uh, speak up? Sure, I'm Ben Goldman, Community Health Administrator for the Behavioral Health Equity Team uh, in Newton Metro Public Health. Press the talk button, please. Um, so just a few additional pieces on this. Yeah, it's an annual. Please press the talk button. Ah. All right. Ben Goldman, Louisville Metro Public Health and Wellness. I'm the Community Health Administrator for the Behavioral Health Equity Team. Um, so this is a grant that we've gotten. This is the second fiscal year we've gotten it. Um, the funds were awarded in July, and we sort of started the process to try to get these peer support specialists out into the field in October. We've run into a few challenges, but now we're hoping that every year from now on, that'll just be a continued part of the grant. Um, and the other component with the sole source piece is um, most of the peer support specialists that are available in Louisville Metro area are associated with a specific treatment provider. Um, and what we've found with other programs is the ideal is to have it be a peer support specialist who's able to make referrals to all of the treatment providers and there's no concerns about conflict of interest or you know, a, a priority given for one treatment provider over another. We want really a, as much as possible a participant-centered approach where we're matching people to the treatment that's gonna be best for them. That sounds really good. Uh, how many people can you help or have you helped so far? Sure. Um, so since the program launched in July of 2021, um, I don't have the exact numbers handy, but we visited about 140 individuals who have experienced overdose, uh, about 200 family members, and then we've distributed Narcan to about 2,000 community members um, in the areas where those overdoses were taking place. 
And we are, our primary referral source is through EMS. Uh, every morning we receive the runs that they've done on folks who have experienced overdose. There's a Kentucky revised statute that permits that data to be narrowly shared with the health department specifically for the purpose of this type of outreach program. Boy, it sounds great. I appreciate you all doing this. Uh, uh, anybody in the committee have any questions? Committee member Parker. Yes, um, I had a couple. What exactly will the $85,000 buy for us? It'll buy two part-time peer support specialists. That's a trained physician of people who have lived experience of substance use disorder, um, who then receive additional training beyond their lived experience in how to engage people, work with folks who have recently experienced an overdose, um, help people in their recovery pathway. And it is- And are they the ones that go into the home? So right now, it's entirely Louisville Metro Public Health and Wellness employees, um, many of whom do have lived experience. The ideal model would be one public health employee paired with one peer. That would allow us to do more runs and um, especially handle more follow-up with people who require ongoing engagement before they're interested in services. Okay, um, do you all keep any data on relapse prevention? We do, um, we, in terms of folks who have both accepted services and not accepted services, we have documentation of sort of who then we see pop up again with an additional overdose or drug poisoning. Okay, and then this is kind of more of a, uh, uh, comment. I looked at the website and it was, uh, I was just wondering what the main mission was because it was really kind of all over the place. There was all kinds of blogs and, and then there was stuff on there about voting rights and just all kinds of things that to me didn't seem like pertain to the mission of this. So what is actually the main mission of this group? <laughs> Are you asking of Louisville Recovery Community Connection, the yes. partnering organization? So they're a recovery community organization that's also funded by the Kentucky Opioid Response Effort. Um, they're a, a, their physical location serves as a hub for recovery meetings, 12-step programs, uh, service delivery, harm reduction. Um, so I would, you know, uh, I can't represent them, but I would, say roughly my understanding of their mission is to serve all residents at all phases of their recovery. That could be a person who has 25 years of abstinence-based uh, recovery, all the way up to somebody who used substances this morning and is interested in talking to someone about managing their substance use. Um, so this, this program aligns with their mission in that they really do advocate for the involvement of impacted people in all of this work and they have a ton of experienced people who have lived experience who want to be involved in recovery efforts and what we've found um, in terms of best practices for this model of a quick response team is that having people at the scene when we're visiting a home who have lived experience is critically important to building that relationship 
to reducing those barriers and to making our staff more approachable. Okay. And um, I guess of all the people that they visit or they contact, what's the percentage rate? I'm just curious um, what the percentage rate of contacts they actually meet with versus names or folks that they've got through EMS? That's a great question. Um, so there's sort of a subset of all of the referrals where the address is either incorrect or not enough information for us to track the person down. Um, of home visits where we're successful in reaching a location, we have access, you know, if it's an apartment building, we're able to actually knock on the individual apartment door, or if it's a house, we're able to get to the house. I would say we're probably between 10 and 20% of those encounters uh, initially lead to an immediate contact with the individual in question, and then maybe an additional 25% of those lead to an encounter with a family member or loved one of the person who experienced the overdose. Um, and then in the cases where we're not able to talk to anyone, you know, we knock on a door and there's no one there, we leave behind a door hanger that's discreet but has information about how to get a hold of us um, and just describes us as a health outreach team that's able to offer free services anonymously or confidentially. Okay, thank you. Um, that clears up a lot because when I went on their site, it was really, there's just like a lot of like blogs there and um, so this gives more good information. There was one place where it gave some numbers about coaching and referrals and that, but and there was a lot of other like weird stuff on there too. So. And just to, just to clarify, the program is currently only being operated by Louisville Metro Public Health and Wellness, so none of the activities for the current program are captured under that website um, and, and won't be captured under that website. We're just contracting some of the labor of peer support specialists from that nonprofit. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, anybody in the community and the committee have any other questions? Yes, committee member Hawkins. Thank you. Thank you. Just a couple of uh, quick questions. Um, they just really wasn't clear to me that um, Councilwoman Parker had asked. Uh, I didn't get the clarity that I needed. She asked, she touched on a lot of things. Uh, and that was you go into the homes and let me ask this. Are you going into any of these homes yourself or are you just an advocate for the company? So I work for Louisville Metro Public Health and Wellness. Okay. Um, I'm a Metro employee. Okay. I am the manager for this program. So typically my staff, people who report to me, other Metro employees are going out into the field. Okay. But we're currently experiencing a staffing crisis in our department. So frequently I myself am going out on those calls as well. So I'm happy to answer. Any okay. questions about those calls? Okay, so I'm asking you that because I want to know, do you go out uh, into these homes to be able to determine if what you are doing is effective? 
because you guys are asking for 85000 which I see council give money a whole lot, so that's not really a lot of money. But I'm asking, do you think you're asking for uh, this money for two part-time positions, correct? Yeah, just to clarify, we're not asking for the money. The money has already been awarded from the state for this purpose. Okay. We're asking permission to spend the money in this contract. So this is, this is all federal okay. pass-through funds. I do think the program is incredibly effective. We've seen people who, you know, we show up at their door and they slam the door in our face. That's, that's part of the job. We also see people who break down in tears, who, you know, their loved one has struggled to be linked to services. They're incredibly grateful that the city cares enough to send two people out to their door to check on their loved one. Um, they accept Narcan, they accept information about treatment, they accept a card to then link us to the person uh, who experienced the overdose. We've had people who we connected to buprenorphine programs, to methadone programs who are currently maintaining abstinence from illicit drugs and not continuing to experience overdose. What are, um, what are some of the areas that are the most, that you, most that you go to? Like majority, like what parts, what districts? Sure, so the, about the areas? yeah, I would say that the clusters that we see um, of the, based on the EMS runs are a lot okay. of downtown, downtown area uh, EMS runs, uh, South Louisville, Southwest Louisville, and West Louisville. We do see overdoses in every zip code, every council district, but I would say in terms of concentration, um, we're seeing the highest concentration of overdose runs in those areas. One last question. So <clears throat> a lot of the people that you're sending into the homes, um, they were prior, they're coming out for recovery, or what is the longest person that you have employed that, uh, that has not relapsed? So that's not a question that we ask people when we're hiring them. That's actually, uh, I think we may be federally prohibited from asking that question. Do you drug test? Um, we do not drug test. So there's no guarantee that a person that you're sending into the home is not still currently a user? I think to the extent that there's a guarantee that any Metro employee who's not drug tested is not using drugs, uh, I can offer that same guarantee. I think that in terms of visiting people at home, there are, to my knowledge, dozens of programs that the city has people doing home visits. Um, so for me, the benefit of having a person with lived experience who we do or don't know whether or not their toxicology screen would come up positive is much greater in this particular case than in any of those other programs. I think as, as an employer, I would hate to discriminate against people who have overcome a substance use disorder and prevent them from working in a field where they're able to serve their community and improve the lives of residents. I will say this to clear this up. <clears throat> I am a firm believer that people who actually has been through something would be the best advocate. But what I'm also saying is, is that we just wanna make sure that even the advocate itself, how can you advocate and you're still using? So Absolutely. that would just be, you can't, there's no way that you can advocate and then you are still using. That's true. And to no. be clear, I mean, our, our policy as an employer is that we do not allow drug use among staff you know, on the job. We don't allow, you know, we don't endorse people using drugs. Um, but I think as a program manager, 
you know, two years into this program, I have never seen any indication that would give me pause. And I've seen dozens of times in the field a colleague where I have no lived experience of substance use disorder. I'm not a person in long-term recovery. I have seen people in long-term recovery make connections that even I, as a skilled yes. social service worker, as an experienced clinician, connections that I haven't been able to make. And so I will, you know, I will die on the hill of making sure that we hire people with lived experience. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Councilwoman uh, uh, Shanklin, are you ready to take over? Yes, if you don't mind. I apologize. No problem. This computer messed up again today. I'm, we're going to have to send it downtown. So, uh, <laughs> well, the other one, I mean, it did the same thing last week. And so I apologize for that. Is there any more questions or concerns? Yes, from uh, committee member Arthur. Okay. Uh, Councilman Arthur. Thank you so much. I have one comment and one question, I think, unless it depends on the answer to that question. So the, the comment is, thank you for the work that you do in your team. It's so crucial. With that being said, when we look at this resolution, that work isn't really reflected or the impact or the results of the programming that you all provide isn't really reflected. So I would hope in the future that when the administration is asking one of us to sponsor something, a uh, contract, whether it's a pass-through or not, we want to make sure that the whereas clauses are there that just point to, hey, these are how many people we reached. This is the impact of our work. This is why we should fund this and approve this. And then the question is, do you know if any of the staff members of this organization are also staff members of public health and wellness? I don't, I don't know for absolute certain. I would be very surprised if that were the case. I would say to my knowledge, there's no overlap. Um, if there were any full-time employees of public health and wellness, we would know about their secondary employment. For part-time employees, I think there is, it is feasible that there could be a person working part-time for both. I'd be happy to ask them and look at our roles. But to my knowledge, and I would say I would probably know about it if there were overlap, my, my belief is there's no overlap in the two employments. Thank you so much. That's all, Chairwoman. Okay, thank you. There's no one else in the queue, so we'll move to number, I'm sure we're on number two, am I right? Marissa, nope, just we, item no, number one. On. We're still on number one. Oh, mm -hmm. we haven't voted. Okay, so uh, let's see. We're ready, ready to vote. Okay, ready to vote. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Opposed. Uh, this will go to the consent calendar. It takes me a minute to catch up <laughs> once you lose uh, everything. Uh, Barbara, uh, I, I want to say I, I should have said something. Uh, Mitch Goldman, who, who's working this program, uh, mm -hmm. this is uh, uh, something that's really, really needed. And sometimes people aren't conscious. And I appreciate them paying attention. Uh, the people who are less uh, are vulnerable to mess up. And, and a lot of people who are on drugs, they, they're, they're, they're just naive of what's up, you know, the whole world. And they need help. And so I'm glad that uh, we're doing this. Okay, thank you. So now we're sending this to the consent calendar. Okay. So we're on number two, right? Yes, ma'am. 
Okay, Madam Clerk, can you read item number two? Of course. Item number two is R-024-23, a resolution pursuant to the capital and operating budget ordinances approving the appropriation to fund the following non-competitively negotiated professional service contract for Louisville Metro Public Health and Wellness, LMPHW, concerning public health and wellness, oh no, concerning services as the LMPHW medical director, Norton Healthcare Incorporated, 60,000, red and full. Motion, Arthur. Thank you. Do we have a second? Second, Owen. Okay, it's been moved and properly second. Uh, I think it says, is it uh, Pat Mobile is going to be there? Speak it's on not, this. ma'am. Uh, do we have someone there to speak on it? Yes. Could they announce their name and sure. what department? Yeah, my name is Taylor Ingram, and I serve as the Chief of Staff for the Department of Public Health and Wellness. Okay. I'm happy you have to flow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, as you all know, the department provides a variety of clinical services which require the oversight and direction by a qualified and licensed uh, medical pr practitioner. Um, we have had this position posted uh, with Louisville Metro Government as a direct hire now for one year. In that time, we only received one application and they were not the right fit for a recommendation to hire. So we have had to seek alternative sources to try to ensure we can maintain operations. Um, through conversations, uh, Norton Healthcare was identified, um, specifically through their Office or Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases, um, as being able to provide a qualified physician to support three key objectives for the department, which includes acting as a medical advisor for our programs and staff that provide direct clinical care. And that includes, but it's not limited to, uh, you know, standing orders and participating in the care of, of, of our patients. Uh, number two would be serving as a medical advisor and assisting our leadership team in planning and developing clinical activities, especially including coordination with the medical community as a whole here in Jefferson County or Louisville Metro. And then three, the individual would serve as a medical expert participating in public education activities. Uh, this contract is for 15% of a provider's time. Um, and we feel that the, the public-private partnership between Louisville Metro Government and Norton Healthcare helps us overcome the ability to directly hire for this role and fills an immediate need in our physician support team. Happy to answer any questions you have. No one, does anyone have any concerns or questions? Committee Member Arthur. I, I, think I, just, I think I answered the question with the documentation. You were talking about the position being posted Nobody applied except for someone you didn't want. This funding isn't something new. This is funding you already have ready for the position, so you're just making sure it goes to somebody who's outside of government, essentially. Yeah, this is through grant funding from the CDC. Thank you so much. Is there any any other concerns or questions? There are none. It's time to vote. Oh, um, uh, committee member Hawkins. Okay, uh, she wasn't in the queue, so I didn't know. But I guess their names don't go in the queue? Um, in the queue, it's usually okay. just for virtual, but I can start putting them in there. But I think she uh, she changed her mind, but committee or Vice Chair Benson might want to speak. Okay, Councilman Benson. 
I can't hear you, Councilman. Sorry, the the fifteen percent. That's why you couldn't hear me a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> I had a mute. <laughs> Boy, what a dummy. Uh, that uh, fifteen percent is a, a sixty thousand dollars. It's for fifteen percent of the work. Is that what uh, I understand? It's for fifteen percent of the individual's overall time. So the other. I'm not good at math. 85% of their time will be paid for by Norton. They will serve as okay. a Norton employee during that time. And then it'll just be the 15% they, they spend with the Department of Public Health and Wellness. I understand. I, 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 I was naive, dumb. I, 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 thank you. Not learn that up. Happy to Appreciate help. it. All right. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the chambers that want to speak? Because they're not in the queue. Um, committee Here. Member Hawkins. Thank you. Okay. So you've posted this position online, or how have you advocated for this position to be hired? Yeah, so um, it is on NeoGov, which is the online application that all Metro departments use to post their positions. In addition, the health department has started proactive recruitment efforts. So that's working with um, organizations in the community that do hiring fairs, uh, that host job boards to make them aware of the public health and wellness openings. And then we also promote them on our online social media accounts and through our weekly public newsletter. And you still haven't been successful with them? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the compensation rate that we offer is just not competitive. And there's no one in, there's no one already in a position that yeah, the other medical position is also filled by a part-time physician. Okay. Um, and there's no one else on our staff that holds these qualifications. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Any concerns, questions? No, ma'am. Okay, hearing none, with time to vote. All in favor? Uh -huh. Any opposed? Aye. Did, are you opposing? No. Oh, I heard I heard somebody say I when I said any opposed. Or was that Tammy? Was that, that was just a delayed reaction, I believe. Oh, delayed reaction. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So uh then this we'll send this to consent calendar. Okay. Uh, the next item that we have, we have a resolution. Can you read it, Madam Clerk? Yes, ma'am. Item number three, R-031-23, a resolution honoring Miss Anna Woolridge by dedicating the corner of South Clay Street and Camp Street as Anna Woolridge Way in her honor, read in full. Thank you. Motion, Arthur. Uh, can we have a motion? Do we have a second? Second, Stuart Benson. It's been properly moved and second. Do we have someone to speak on this item? It does not look like it, ma'am. Okay, if we don't have anyone to speak on this item, then we will table it till the next meeting. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, I think the next we have a special guest. Um, we have uh, someone here from Care. Yes, ma'am. Okay. We're pulling up their presentation right now. Excuse me. I got a okay. point of order, please. What's that? Okay. So just to ask a quick question, um, 
just probably from lack of knowledge, or I just need some clarity on something, just wanted to know, uh, Councilwoman, why were we uh, tabling that? Is no, it because no one's here to speak? Is that how yeah. to? Okay. That's what I so, just said. Okay. No one's here to speak on it. So there's no information about it whatsoever. So there needs to be someone to speak on it when you have some type of, uh, if you're sponsoring something, someone needs to be there to speak on it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Do we have Benson James there? Yes. Okay. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Vincent James. I'm the president and CEO of Dare to Care Food Bank, and I'm also accompanied with Daniel Frock, who is our chief financial officer, and also have two other colleagues who are in the audience that are prepared potentially if they need any to answer any questions. Uh, Councilwoman Shanklin and to this body, to Madam Chair, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to come and to share with you today something very near and dear to my heart uh, with the work of Dare to Care Food Bank. Some of you may be familiar with Dare to Care, and for those of you who are not, uh, we simply distribute food to the community. Uh, we have over 300 partner agencies that we work with that are located in all Metro Council districts, and these partner agencies are delivering food services to our community, to our members, in, or to our neighbors in need. We also serve seven other Kentucky counties and five in southern Indiana, and last year, uh, we distributed 19.6 million uh, meals throughout Kentuckyana. Two-thirds of those meals were right here in Louisville Metro, uh, which we touch every zip code in every Metro Council district with our assistance. And so just a few uh, weeks ago, uh, through the great partnership that we were able to establish with Louisville Metro government, uh, we've seen that Louisville had experienced the thousand thousands of power outages that literally impact uh, the entire community. And through this partnership, we were able to identify those critical areas of need to be able to serve the community. And so we mobilized seven different pop-up pantries uh, for those who lost food during that time, uh, during the power outages. And in, and in cases of emergency, people uh, still have the food needs. And we were able to provide over 2,700 families uh, in need during that time. And it was a critical time that we were able to respond immediately, and that is due to the infrastructure that Dare to Care has built out uh, in our community to be able to respond to those types of disasters. And we're able uh, to also provide three different locations uh, that typically we had not served, uh, but three pop-up locations where we were able to provide not only hot meals, but also we delivered uh, food uh, during after-school programs uh, during that time of the power outages as well. And lastly, we were able to serve uh, several communities, uh, senior communities, because a lot of the senior community buildings were out. We were able to provide food, hot meals for them, uh, as well as partner with some other community partner agencies that were able to deliver food themselves, uh, utilizing our community kitchen uh, in West Louisville. The surge, when we talk about and think about why we're here today and why we wanted to share this information with you. Our state benefits dropped uh, May of 20, 2000, 2022. Uh, it removed tens of millions of dollars from our most vulnerable members of our community. And the average benefit uh, was $243. that dropped by $100 for nearly 600,000 low-income Kentuckians who qualify for 
uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the SNAP benefits. And as a result of that, we're seeing the number of recipients uh, also who've lost those SNAP benefits uh, is really equivalent, if we think about the size and the impact, to filling the Yum Center five times. Uh, in Louisville, this doesn't really even include the nearly 30,600 residents who earn uh, too much to qualify for SNAP benefits, but they don't earn enough to cover the food expenses. So additionally, we've seen, we've seen these safety nets uh, programs such as extend, expanded child care tax credits in, and as a result, Dare to Care and our partners are serving uh, food, and we haven't seen this significant surge in those visiting food banks. Some of our food uh, partners are sharing with us that they've seen a 40% increase over last summer, and some of these sites have uh, seen even close to doubling the number of visitors that come for need for food assistance. At the same time, we've been seeing the government cuts occurring. We also are seeing, again, a 50-year inflation uh, high, specifically targeting food and transportation. And for our neighbors who are still struggling to rebound from the pandemic and our seniors who are on fixed incomes, we're seeing, for example, a continued increase along with uh, our youth, which is 70% of our youth here in Louisville are continuing to experience food insecurity. Because of these safety nets being cut, uh, the programs that we are providing and others are providing in the community, community are crucial, uh, and we have to have these programs and initiatives to continue to provide food for our neighbors. And as we think about the impact of what is typically happening uh, on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis, we are continuing to identify additional support and local support from our local officials and from our community members as well, because to respond to this surge that we've seen. Uh, correspondingly, when we think about the surge that has impacted our country, uh, unfortunately, the same challenges that we've seen uh, impact our neighbors are also impacting Dare to Care. Uh, when we think about the USDA supplemental food uh, has dropped sharply. We've seen a 54% decrease uh, from our federal government programs. And also the food prices and transportation costs are continuing to climb that we're paying out, and which is representing 55% of our non-personnel budget. Uh, just this year alone, we have spent a quarter of a million dollars in addition to what, what, our, what we had had budgeted to cover some of the cost of purchasing food for our neighbors in need, and which, by which continues to drain, create a challenge for us to be able to serve effectively. And the food supply chain issues have really disrupted a lot of the things we've seen in our community from the disrupted shipments of donated and purchased food. Uh, the inventory is really causing a lot of delays and disruption to our community support. However, even with these challenges, we do have a unique time in history that we are in today. Right now, we're seeing literally this perfect storm of challenges that we are facing this impact in many Louisvillians as well. And so Dare to Care is uniquely positioned to respond, but the need and support uh, of our community and our local officials is really critical at this time. Uh, we've received a grant uh, here recently to provide over a three-year period to really look at how we're able to provide access uh, to equitable access for food for all of our neighbors. We want to be able to build out an infrastructure that literally, uh, no matter what zip code you're in, that you have access to food uh, when you are in need. But again, we need the support to now to really focus on the kinds of issues that we are confronted with today. And so in this current year alone, again, we have an opportunity to continue uh, to 
spend resources to be able to purchase food. And one of the things I want to encourage uh, each of our council members uh, to come by our warehouse and see uh, our kitchen and our community partners at work. Uh, and it's an incredible opportunity when you see all of the volunteers, when you see all of the passion that's gathered around our, our neighbors and our volunteers to make sure that they're providing uh, food to our neighbors in need. And this opportunity for me, uh, transitioning out of Metro Louisville government, uh, where I previously served as the chief of community building, when I was thinking about opportunities to be able to serve our community, uh, when this opportunity came, it was a no-brainer for me. It was an opportunity for me to really uh, continue to serve our community in a way that we could see immediate impact as we touch the, the thousands of, of res Louisville residents who are in need of food insecurity. And my goal, as we're working with Dare to Care, is not only to lead the community in serving our neighbors, but also we want to conquer that cycle of need. But in doing so, we need your support and continued support. I want to thank uh, Metro Council for uh, the support that you've given us throughout the years. It has been very critical at times when we needed it the most that this body has stood up and provided those resources. And we're continuing to ask again uh, for the continued need because we're seeing the, the surge in uh, need and demand from our neighbors and we want to make sure that we can continue to provide for them. Uh, so at this time, I want to say thank you for allowing us the opportunity and to ask if there are any questions uh, that you, we can share with you today. Barbara, you're mute. Oh. Oh, okay. Councilman Arthur. Thank you, Chairwoman. You thanking us. Thank you. Everybody got to eat. So what Dare to Care does is really life-saving work, and I just cannot express enough gratitude for you all. But I ain't here to give you your flowers. I also got to rain on your parade a little bit. So criticism I hear a lot about Dare to Care is that you put quantity over quality. Could you respond to that and also just speak about how you ensure that the food is of quality before you serve it? Yes, that's a, a great question. One of the things I know uh, that Dare to Care has been really focused on is the quality of food that we actually put getting out in the community. One of the things we take great, we take great measures in, in terms of examining the food as it comes into um, our warehouse and as it goes out the door. We also provide opportunities for our partner agencies. They are thoroughly trained in food safety, so they are recognizing in terms of when food needs to be you know, discarded as a result of not something that they would eat, and that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is the ability to be able to uh, have that in the culture in terms of which we serve and the people that are serving with us that we want to make sure that what we're giving out we would eat in our own homes and we do have that opportunity to be able to do that and so we ensure uh, the best ways we can now is it a perfect system by no means there are times when things do get slide through the cracks we want to hear about it uh, immediately and we address it immediately uh, it was not that too long ago when I had just started in the position um, that we received some information as related to uh, some outdated food as and it did not look appear to be uh, edible and so I immediately responded to that with our team uh, got the information contacted and follow up with the person uh, that received this food and found out why well, how did that happen and so we're continuing to do that every day thank you just a few more questions chairwoman your July 2020 to June 2021 financial summary shows that you got over 12.7 million 
and contributions and grants. Could you give us a, a breakdown of what's from the federal government versus the state government versus local government, and even a breakdown between which state government and which locality since you serve over a dozen counties in two different states? Well, I'm glad to have our CFO here, Daniel Frock, and he'll be glad to share with you. Sure, thank you for the question. Um, so we have a variety of funding sources uh, to, that constitute uh, our funding, and there's both, just for the, the general public, there is cash funding itself, and then there's uh, produce, commodity funding, uh, and donated goods, and so forth. So uh, there is a value placed on that, and our financials reflect that value of the donated food in addition to uh, the cash funding that, uh, that you're discussing. So uh, in combination, the donations come primarily from uh, individuals, philanthropic and corporate uh, fields. The governmental funding that we had and have in our most recent budget stands at uh, just under 1.2 million um, of that budget that you spoke of. Uh, that's in our, our current, so approximately 10% on the, the cash funding side. And then Louisville Metro has been a supporter at a $200,000 level. Uh, we have worked with the surrounding counties as well uh, and have a, a variety of grants that are available to us. Uh, they tend to be partnerships, and many times those surrounding counties will fund our partners. We talked about our network, which relieves some of the stress for us because they are directly purchasing in their, their home county. So it is a, a system, uh, not just Dare to Care itself. And do you have a, a target number? I know you're talking about the state essentially defunding some of the work you do. If only 10% of your funding currently comes from government, we know the need has grown. So are you thinking you want 15% now, 20%? What would be the, the ideal number? I, well, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a non-financial answer. The ideal number would to not have any unmet need. And so that's why we're speaking about other programs as well, because a household budget is more than just the food budget itself. There are tax credits, there are things that can support a household budget. So ideally, we would not have a meal gap. Uh, and so it's not necessarily a percentage uh, that's a dollar percentage. The commodity program can rise and fall depending on what the Farm Bill does and what nature does. Uh, in terms of what we receive. So there is not a set mix. We want our partners to be strong. We want to be strong ourselves. Uh, and we would love to fundraise out, um, I, I believe the letter that we sent earlier to uh, both the council and the mayor indicates the need is much greater than what our ask is. And the plan is to fundraise out the rest of that need. Just two, two more really simple questions. One is around your map. I'm assuming you're connected with 211 as a service that gets referenced when people call for food. I remember I, I called Brother James not too long ago saying, is, is this all you got in Russell? Because I think the map was, wasn't updated. Could we make sure that that's updated just so as folks have needs and they come to us, we're able to give them accurate information? Absolutely. I think one of the items that we're looking at is to potentially have a redo of our website to make it easier to access resources. And then the last question, which you didn't mention, the grocery store concept. Yes. Do we have a price range for that yet? Or, or you know, what's the status of that project? Well, part of the, the first steps for us is, is really talking with our neighbors. Part of the, the grant that I've mentioned that we just recently received is really doing some focus groups and helping to understand um, what the need is and what they specific, what our neighbors are specifically asking for in terms of how we structure these 
uh, what we are calling these the model food pantries that are set up like grocery stores. Uh, but again, we don't want to come in and just put something together based on what we think. We want to hear from our neighbors, and that's part of what we're doing now in assessing that information. Uh, we was just awarded the grant at the latter part of last year, so we put together uh, internal team and both external opportunities for uh, third parties to do the surveying and the focus groups with us in the community. And from that, the next steps would then be to begin to put together the infrastructure to build out these much needed uh, model pantries throughout the community. One of the things we're wanting to pallet during that time, and that's a lot of the uh, focus is going to be around in the most underserved areas, how do we build, put in a pallet that will be able to serve these areas. And so uh, we'll be getting that information and I'll be glad to forward that to you as we're doing the surveys and as we're building out the infrastructure, we'll have some more specific dollars in terms of what it would actually cost to, to build this infrastructure out. Thank you so much. I also, uh, Councilman, I'd like to amend my, my government answer. I grabbed a year-to-date uh, budget number. The, the full annual budget's a little under 1.8 million, ungovernmental. All right, thank you. Uh, Councilwoman Hawkins. <clears throat> thank you. Um, I wanna say that I'm gonna be a yes on this and I'm gonna solidify why uh, already. Debt occur is in my district, been a friendly neighbor. I see the things that they do daily. Um, they go over and beyond. Um, I do remember when the power was out, they called me as a council person like, hey, we gotta keep this food good. That was, I mean, they are probably one of the best neighbors that I've had in the last 15 years uh, over there. I have a few businesses over there. Uh, I'm knee deep in the community. And I will say this, uh, <clears throat> because I'm big on advocating uh, for things that I actually see, people whose boots are to the ground. I will say that I don't see Vincent James much, um, but I wanna speak to, because, and let me explain why I don't see him, because he has multiple hubs that he oversees. But I wanna speak to someone that doesn't look like me and that Stan. Stan, could you please stand up and come to the podium, please? Um, he deals with a underserved community, the same community that I deal with, the same people that I deal with, and that is not an easy task. Uh, he's been a friendly neighbor. I've seen him do a lot of things that I'm not able to do as much anymore because I'm not right there in that corridor. Uh, and I'm speaking for District 1. Uh, these guys have went over and beyond multiple times outside of their scope of work. Uh, you find people that will give you, uh, you find people that's willing to come to work to get a paycheck. But it's not about a paycheck for these guys, especially this one right here. Um, he puts in time, sometimes overtime, and he always, always contacts the constituents. He contacts me, and I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for um, helping my area that's been well overserved until Dedeker came in um, and helped bridge the gap. 
of the things that I've tried to do before I sat on this council seat. And it's not easy. And I just want to say thank you, and I'm definitely going to support this, and I hope that my colleagues will also. Councilwoman Betsy Rui. Hold on, Councilwoman. Stan's speaking. I'm just going to say, usually when I'm called to the podium, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> this was, you know, thank you, and it's an honor to. Push the talk button, please. Thanks, Stan. I think Stan and I go way back. So thank you. Councilwoman Betsy Rui. Rui. Okay, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to know, where do you source your food from? Is it coming from uh, like Kroger warehouses or where is it coming from? We have multiple sources in terms of which we get food. We get donated food, uh, food federal government initiatives and programs. We also have a retail program that we are able to get donated food through the larger retailers like Walmart, Kroger, uh, Publix. And so we have a variety of sources in terms that we are able to bring food into the community. Is that it, uh, Councilwoman? You have any more comments? That was all, thank you. Okay, thank you. I had a couple questions that I was gonna ask. Before I ask, does anybody else have anything to say? Okay, hearing none. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today addressing the rise in food insecurity? You know, I think that the biggest challenge that we have today is, is this surge that we're experiencing right now. Um, when we think about the increase, a 40% increase, we're seeing more of a need today than we've seen that we saw during the pandemic, uh, which no one was forecasting this great need that we're seeing today. Uh, because no one forecasted the inflation that we would see as well as in gas prices and the transportation. And so the immediate relief in terms of, of what we need is resources, uh, more resources to be able to purchase more food for our neighbors who are in need, who are in need right now. Uh, one other thing, uh, what, do you have other nonprofits that work with you or some of the nonprofits that you work with? Yes, with the nonprofits that we work with, we, we you know, have over 300 partner agencies that we work with and other nonprofits. Uh, to give an example how we work efficiently with our nonprofits, during the power outage, we were able to uh, work with the Hope Bus. Uh, they were able to come and secure over 1,000 hot meals that they provided to the community through that bus. And they, they was able to drive into areas uh, typically where we did not have a partner and so that gave us an opportunity to be able to be represented uh, in an underserved area, but as well as being able to work with a partner to provide them resources to be able to serve the community and doing it well. Uh, we have other partners that we work with, the area community ministries that are represented in several council districts uh, that cover that they're real critical partners as it relates to uh, food pantries and food distribution that we're able to get out through uh, our partners there. So we, and several other partners we have throughout the community are really critical in the growth and development of being able to serve our, our neighbors in need. Okay, thank you. Is there anyone else that has anything to say? If not, I'll tell you a little bit about my food pantry. 
most of you know, I have a food pantry that I serve on the second Monday of the month. And I'm inviting every one of you to come out and look, participate or whatever. It's usually from 10 to 12. And what we do, we, we get our food from there to care and we box it up. Uh, usually get the boxes ready on that Saturday and all the canned goods. And on that Monday, we put in the meat and the vegetables and the bread and all of that. And as the cars come through the parking lot, we just put the boxes in their cars. So nobody comes inside. We just put the boxes in each car as it goes through. It's a really neat uh, program that we have. We have lots of volunteers from uh, Second Press, uh, Second Presbyterian out on Brownsbury Road. They come out and help box it up. And uh, it's really a good thing for the community. This past Monday, uh, we ran out of food uh, and we had to go back in and make more boxes up. It's not that we actually ran out, but we ran out of boxes. So it's a really good organization that uh, Dare to Care has. And uh, the way we set ours up, this is probably different than others. The mayor has come out doing Thanksgiving and, and helped put turkeys in the cars as they come through. Um, the new mayor has, the old mayor has, the chief of police has been there. So we've had lots of people come out and I'm inviting all of you to come out uh, on any second Tuesday of the month and just see the things that we do in the community and how many people are actually lined up on Indian Trail. I Sometimes I'm out there directing traffic because there's a need in the community and people are there to get food. And just recently with the storm and all, there were so many people that didn't have food and Dare to Care actually sent a, a mobile pantry over to the community center. So they had, they were able to get food at the mobile pantry also. So there's a need in this community and every year during budget time, I'm usually begging. So uh, Councilwoman Hawkins, I'm, expecting you to help me beg because usually it's me and uh, Jessica Green begging for money for their care. So just putting that out there. But this is not, uh, this is just a special discussion is we won't be voting on it. And so also if we're not, if we finish with dirty care, I want to move on to, I'm going to ask one more time. Does anybody have anything else to say about dirty care? Or does anybody want to volunteer? Say, I want to volunteer to go out there with you. <laughs> so nobody's saying that. I see. You know, I'll be out there with you. Don't do it. Okay. I Vincent is laughing. But <laughs> Madam Chair, I, I just would like to say again, I just really want to thank you. I want to thank this committee, you know, for giving us the time to really share about a critical need in our community. You know, it if, it, if it had not been for the partners uh, like Councilwoman Shanklin's, our church and many other churches, houses of faith across the community and uh, community-based organizations. We couldn't serve our community the way we do. And it's through the support of this council and many other donors that we're able to touch lives every day and really see a change. There's a lot of initiatives and programs that I've been a part of where you didn't know if you was impacting a life or not. We get to be, we're able to see the immediate gratification when we're able to hand our neighbors some resources and food that which is a basic human right that everyone should have yet in the wealthiest country in the world they don't have it but we get an opportunity to serve and not only do we want to serve the food but we want to conquer the cycle of need and addressing those root causes as to why people are in, in these conditions to begin with and again i just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be able to share today and to be able to talk about 
a very passionate and critical need that I have and we have in this community. Thank you so much. Thank you. And also, I meant to say, not only we have good food that we give out. This week past, we gave out a ribs, spare ribs, and you'd be, be surprised <laughs> how long that line was. And I think last month we gave out uh, lobster tails. That was part of the food that we got from Dirty Care. So it's not like we're getting just old food that was thrown away, bad food or whatever. The people that come through my line, they get good food, get hams, turkeys, whatever they have, they send. And uh, people really appreciate it. So we want to thank you again for being here. And uh, you can come anytime. Uh, you're welcome to come anytime. you got updates or whatever, just let us know. Thank Before you. We, okay, thank you. Before we leave, I got a call from uh, Councilman uh, uh, Philip. Baker's office and Shalena uh, is here and she wants to talk about the uh, street name. So council, I mean, Madam Clerk, can you read the resolution again? Yes, ma'am. Item number three, R-031-23, a resolution honoring Miss Anna Woolridge by dedicating the corner of South Clay Street and Camp Street as Anna Woolridge Way in her honor, read in full. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, Shalina, you want to discuss it, please? Yes, Madam Chair, thank you again for giving the opportunity to read this, and I got my committee meetings mixed up. Um, I was going to read in the resolution, a resolution honoring Miss Anna Woolridge by dedicating the corner of South Clay Street and Camp Street as Anna Woolridge Way in her honor, sponsored by Councilmember Philip Baker. Whereas Ms. Anna Woolridge was president of the Shelby Park Neighborhood Association from 2006 to 2011. Whereas prior to being president of her neighborhood association, Ms. Woolridge ran a summer program from the shelter in Shelby Park for the neighborhood children serving free lunches to the community. And whereas in May 2006, Ms. Woolridge graduated from the Citizens Police Academy and then served on the fourth division um, I'm sorry, excuse me, the 4th District Advisory Board for several years, and whereas Ms. Woolridge served as president of the Shelby Park Neighborhood Football League, and whereas Ms. Woolridge served as president of the Louisville Coalition of Neighborhoods in 2009, and whereas Ms. Woolridge has volunteered with New Directions and Project, Project Warm programs, and whereas Ms. Woolridge is one of the first people to attend and graduate from the Neighborhood Institute, a program designed to increase participation of residents in their local community. And whereas Ms. Woolridge has been on the block watch, excuse me, has been the block watch captain for the 600 block of Camp Street for as long as anyone can remember. And whereas Ms. Woolridge is recognized and admired as a fearless woman who refused to let the Shelby Park Neighborhood Association die. She loves her neighborhood and Shelby Park with her whole heart. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Legislative Council of Louisville Jefferson County Metro Government as follows. Section one, Anna Woolridge's dedicated service, Anna Woolridge's dedicated service and commitment to Louisville Metro is hereby recognized with the placement of an honorary street sign on South Clay Street and Camp Street, Louisville, Kentucky, and so designated as Anna Woolridge Way. Section two, the Department of Public Works is hereby directed to move forward with fabrication and installation of the honorary street sign upon the passage of this resolution 
and the receipt of funds to cover the expense. In section three, the resolution shall take effect upon its passage and approval or otherwise becoming law. And we were aiming to have the um, sign unveiling celebration for Ms. Woolridge on April 12th at 3.30 p.m. Thank you. I did not make, you. make a motion and a second. Do I have a motion and a second? Motion, Arthur. Resolution, do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Uh, do we have anyone that um, have any concerns, questions, interests? Hearing none, uh, this will go to the consent calendar. So I think everything we had today is going to the consent calendar. So with no other business, we are adjourned. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. get your 30% federal tax credit as well. So it really is starting to make it available to everybody. On the uncertainty side, we get the fact that solar can be daunting. It's a new technology and people aren't sure how to get it onto their home. We spend a lot of time screening and vetting to find the best of the best installers. And you've got them here in, in Icon and Solar Energy Solutions today. So in, yeah, as, as Craig kind of commented, in yeah, 2022, the first campaign became the third biggest in the U.S., which is amazing.